Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast, a weekly woodworking podcast where you learn behind-the-scenes information from the folks at Woodsmith. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today, I'm joined by one of my usuals, Logan Whitmer, and special guest, Dylan Baker. Today's episode, episode number 40, is vegan woodworking. Wow. Thanks for joining us. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. All right. Now, in order to limit the amount of damage that we're going to get from vegans, well, is to do- they don't believe in eating meat. They don't have weapons, right? Right. Sure. Like, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Anyway, the the origin story for this for today's topic, um, I'm almost sad to say, comes from Logan and his sawmilling experiences again. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And and I only do this largely for Dylan's benefit, so that he can be thinking of stuff here right now. <laughs> um, the the idea is, and it comes from uh, you know, there's a lot of folk, uh, and we've done it. Is talk about like what's your favorite wood species to work with, and and it's a related question. If you only get to work with one wood species, what would it be? And I would like to twist that a little bit, uh, again, based on Logan's sawmilling, is uh, rather than narrow it down to one species, if I could, I would limit my woodworking to just softwoods. And I've done... Well, uh, see, go ahead. I was saying this came from like a fir tree I was cutting and I was sending you pictures of it. And you said, I can completely be a vegan woodworker. And I'm like, what's that? And you said, somebody that only works with soft wood. <laughs> <laughs> Which, thinking about it, there's some awesome soft woods, right? Oh, yeah. What would stop you? Uh, I think the only thing really that stops me, and, and I think it's a stumbling, it, I think it's partly psychological, and partly supply-oriented. Psychological being you can't find decent softwood, which I think is sort of true, sort of a myth. And then the other one is uh, softwood and supply. So oh, supply. Like you, you, that there's just not a wide variety of softwood commonly available that looks decent. You know, like you can find knotty pine till the cows come home, mm-hmm. but to find at least around here in in the Midwest of yeah. finding, you know, like decent white pine um, firs, you know, like yep. you, you you saw a cedar not that long ago, yep. Logan, yep. Um, redwood, you know, because I did yep. a, you know, well, Dylan, you did that. Uh, um, those candle lanterns and one of them was redwood yeah yeah i mean commercially it's it's i mean it's virtually uh, extinct and i know that the small amount that we had acquired logan supplied it and that was something that 
clearly wasn't from around here. I mean, it was California, wasn't it, Logan? Yeah, well, it was like uh, came from a water tank on the top of like uh, like Las Vegas Menards or so- something like that. Like it was like, it was like an industrial water tank that was on top of a building out in the desert, right? Um, from who knows, but yeah, I mean, and just to be clear, we're talking about softwoods in the literal term. Uh, right. Because I work with a lot of arborists, and they say, "Oh no, it's softwood. It's it's soft maple." It's like, no, technically that's a hardwood. We're talking about softwoods, the 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 pine tree, the right. stuff that doesn't lose its leaves, the yeah. non-dedaceous. So, you know, and like Dylan, you can share a little of your experience because you're working on your rubo style workbench sure. in a softwood that isn't really that soft. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the the like Phil said, the the Rubo style bench I have is actually made from old growth dug fir, or so we think. Um, that were structural beams in an old kind of turn of the century industrial building in downtown Des Moines, um, and it's you know it's wonderful to to mill and to work with for the most part, but you know it does have you know you know. It, it just like everything else it has its pros and cons i mean you know you it, it, it's it's cutting very well and of course it, it milled very well in terms of joining and planing it um but when you go to do things like sanding or cross cutting it with hand saws it is very splintery um but with that being said when i was went to surface the top as well as the bottom it actually planed quite well as long as you you know you're as usual your blade sharp and the the sole of your your plain iron is, you know, well waxed, but, um, yeah, it's kind of has that, the same kind of pitfalls as even some plywoods do, or again, where, you know, you go to run your finger across it and you have an entire, <laughs> a splinter that's basically <laughs> piercing through one side of your finger and the other. And I, I can bear testament to that. I just pulled a piece out of my middle finger on my left hand the other day that had been, you know, occupying, uh, occupying space on my finger for the better part of a week. So. So we call those javelins. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's all softwoods. I don't know why. Like, I guess pine's usually okay, but like, the redwood splinters suck. The first splinters suck. Cedar splinters suck. Mm-hmm. They're all bad. And they always feel venomous too. Like, there's, yeah. the, there's the puncture wound pain of it, but then it feels like there is some kind of toxin in there that is... <laughs> You're working against the clock. Clock, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. you know, I think one one of the things that is interesting to me about softwoods, um, and, and I mean, you can say this about hardwoods as well, uh, but in between the different species, you have a complete range of different um, hardnesses, right? So, like, you get some southern yellow pine that can be fairly hard, especially if it's old growth stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas you get into like the white cedar I built this weekend, it's I mean it's like lifting a sheet of blue styrofoam. You know, I mean it's like so lightweight, it's so soft. Uh, uh, it smells wonderful, unlike the blue styrofoam. Uh, but it, it's fascinating <laughs> from from a material doesn't standpoint. Taste as good. About, it doesn't taste as good now. Uh, we've talked about this before. You know how I'm just fascinated by the different materials uh, in the softwood species by themselves you have a thousand different you know species and 
different properties of each. It's very interesting. Uh, I also like the fact that uh, softwood has a has most some softwoods have the best weight to strength ratio of any wood. Um, fir being one of those, it's a very strong wood for its weight. Yeah, yeah, which is it's fascinating. I guess, and that's why I, if, you know, that's why I see it almost as like a dream category to work in because of uh, distinct it is and how much variation you have in it. You know, like I really like being from Wisconsin, I, got, I was exposed to some really nice white pine, mm. you know, growing up, you know, that you could find or, you know, reclaimed stuff or whatever. Um, and they're still around, you know, and I know that, you know, like when we had the fine woodworking guys here in the Northeast, they get a lot of really good white pine too, but it's not as easy to find in Iowa, oddly enough. But, you know, like going back to what, you know, Dylan's projects with those candle lanterns, I made two of them, one out of redwood and one out of cedar. And the cedar that I had was, uh, the cedar that I had was from an old, not an old, it was just from a four by four, but when I milled it up, it had very similar grain and coloring to some redwood, you know? So you have, you have janky looking cedar that I wouldn't even want to burn. And then, you know, there's some really nice stuff. And then you start getting into like, I don't know, the exotics, so to speak of, you know, like white cedar or Alaska yellow cedar, Mm -hmm. um, like I think you did one of the lanterns in Cyprus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it again, I think the milling qualities that are probably comparable to you know some of the the, the firs, um, still a little splintery. And the other thing too, especially working with that stuff on a smaller scale, you know that that particular project was so pattern driven, and so you really have to be careful with. Um, you know, using router bits on ingrain and that sort of thing, because you're not just taking, you're not just botching a small area. You're probably taking a full, full strip out of a, a workpiece there. <laughs> so, but you know, that's all part of the learning curve. But it, you know, nevertheless, I mean, it's just stuff you kind of learn, learn along the way. But it is, it is really, really nice to work with. And I think um, it's one of those things that we, in our, you know, line of business, we're able to explore, but you know, probably haven't as much as 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 we'd like to or or should have. Um, and, you know, we, we're just kind of always stuck in this kind of default of, you know, this, you know, this kind of spectrum that we have of domestic hardwoods that we use. And, you know, a lot of that is driven by just accessibility to, to our readers, too. It's not just, you know, because we're it's not because we're lazy. It's just, again, there these are things that are, you know, commercially available, um, you know, across the United yeah. States for the most part. So it, it, it's it's nice when we can kind of get into these other even domestic woods, whether they be hard or soft and kind of start introducing those even maybe in smaller capacity to some of our projects. So, well, we had a, we did have a reader too that, um, he built the, uh, weather vane, uh, oh. like right after, right after that issue hit. I mean, it was like yeah. issue was in mailboxes and we got a photo the next <laughs> week of his yeah. weather vane. And it built it out of redwood. And this was about the same time you were making those lanterns. And uh, he, I said, ah, oh, that turned out great. Where did you get that from? And he's like, Lowe's carries it. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, my, my Lowe's carries redwood. And I was like, no way. And lo and behold, 
the next week an envelope shows up where he had sent me the tag from the end of the board. So I had the SKU number, which I'm like, that is freaking awesome. So, <laughs> you know, even though, even though we, we do build stuff out of, you know, kind of our, our big three or four, you know, the walnut, oak, uh, maple, and cherry. cherry. Yeah. Mm. You know, those are the big four because they are commercially available. Uh, regionally, there's different stuff available too. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can't buy, we can buy Cypress up here, but it's not like you're going to drive down the road to, uh, you know, sawmill down the road and pick up a bunch of Cypress boards. You can't do that here. Right. Now, if you're in the South all day, you know, you can do that all day long in the South. Um, so it, it's fascinating. And I also, you know, when it comes to Softwood, I appreciate the fact that uh, they're fast growing. So you can, you know, granted, a lot of this is plantation stuff now, right? So a lot mm-hmm. of the fur, a lot of the pine is plantation. It's not old growth stuff anymore. Um, but that makes it uh, eco-friendly to, to grow and harvest. Um, now, the quality isn't the greatest because then you really have uh, you really have that really pronounced uh, late and early wood. So those, mm-hmm. those growth strings that cause the hard areas in Stuff. they're spaced out they're very pronounced um but again it's just it's fascinating material uh as a whole uh softwood is, is fascinating and it's it is a joy to work with when when you're in a rut where you've been working with walnut and cherry and oak and i say that we're privileged we get to do that all day every day day so i'm sure some readers are thinking oh you know shove it because I don't even work. <laughs> they, they, don't have a, they don't have a they don't have a company card. Yeah. Oh see I was trying to come up with a good way to say that and Nate didn't have to beep out. <laughs> but so we are a little privileged that we get to work with that stuff every single day. Uh, but when we do get a chance to work with something a little different like that red or you know some nice cedar or it, it's just it's nice and it makes me appreciate ease of working it yeah. um, you know now i will say there are some things that i would much rather have a hard wood for right like in my opinion uh turning i hate turning softwoods hate it you know there's they're splintery they're chippy uh, i've never turned them green i can just imagine the sap hitting me i don't want to even think about that uh, <laughs> but you know that's where i'm always going to take a hard one but you're right so i don't think there's any reason that you know, there, there may be a project or an instance where a hardwood is the more logical choice due to a, a durability factor, like a tabletop. Yeah, I don't think a, I don't think a white cedar tabletop that is basically white styrofoam is going to last <laughs> when you put spoons and forks. Uh, but uh, there's no reason you can't build most of our stuff out of softwood. Yeah. I mean, you run into the same design issues, um, I think. I mean, Dylan, and and by I say design issues, the appearance of the material. Sure. You know, that if you're going to find, you know, flats on Douglas fir does not nearly approach the cool factor of vertical grain. Right, right, absolutely. You know, so you really have to be more selective on finding those boards cut the way you want you know because right. i i think like flats on white pine can look good but
but if you have wide, essentially quarter sawn white pine, where you have long straight lines, to me is much more attractive. Yeah, definitely than having, you know, cathedral lane or so. I guess that's kind of the gambit is, you know, you may, you may end up finding yourself going through more material when constructing the project, especially again, if you're doing something like Logan suggested of doing a tabletop work or yeah. any really piece of fine furniture where the, the graining is going to, you know, make or break, could make or break the piece visually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and also, I guess the other thing too, with like, especially we, we keep kind of going back or defaulting to Doug fur, you know, you're probably, I mean, not that you couldn't, but you're probably not going to stay in it. So again, the appearance is a lot, a lot more, uh, paramount i think again in the selection process again depending, yeah. depending, on, depending on the piece so um logan you were talking about kind of the um green growing trees and i don't know uh, i uh have to forgive my ignorance but does red, red grandis and or eucalyptus fall into soft, softwood category those technically hardwoods i think they're technically hardwoods, hardwoods okay. yeah okay i mean even though even though they're i, I guess do trees in Florida shed their leaves? I would think so, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I would expect that eucalyptus would be a would be a the hardwood, hard even hardwood, hardwood. Yeah. yeah, softer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, same it's... same way with like basswood. You know, basswood around here is a hardwood tree. Sure. Uh, soft soft maple is a hardwood tree. It loses its leaves every year. Um, so yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because that is, in my opinion, uh, something Dylan just said that made me think about it. The one downfall, the one downfall aside from the durability and the dent factor of softwood is softwood generally does not finish as well as hardwood. Right. right? Like right. In, my, in my experience, it's very hard to get an even stain on softwood unless sure. you are using like a preconditioner or something. You have to, you have to do more work. It's harder to finish, I guess. It's, yeah. it's more labor-intensive than yeah. uh, finishing like an oak or a cherry or a walnut uh, where you can just slap an oil varnish on it and call it good or oil finish. Uh, yeah. A little more labor-intensive. Yeah. I, I guess I also look at it, um, you know, you can look at it as, uh, as a woodworker, I enjoy the whole process of woodworking. And to me, working with softwoods as a family is very evocative in the sense that, you know, you find a nice uh, cedar board and you feel like a superhero hand planing it because your blade is moderately sharp and you are <laughs> pulling off full width shavings and the surface practically is lit from within, you know, essentially all the softwoods when you cut into them have a smell that you would have as a scented candle all day long. Right. It kind of provides yep. that same sense of false uh, security that alcohol provides without having to drink alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the show title. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, just, it's, it's funny because you're right. I mean, like, I have, so in the last week, I've cut white cedar and I cut white pine the other day. They smell phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Like, every softwood I have cut, I have milled. Smells great. Uh, yeah. 
you know, compared to like walnut or ash. And I mean, oak smells great, but you know, it's that's funny. Uh, it's funny you say that because it's true. Yeah. Make sure you're I, documenting this for new initiatives. We're going to start making yeah. scented candles and build an empire to go up against Yankee candles. North, right. Northern white cedar and yeah. southern yellow pine. Well, I mean, like, we were just in the shop, and Dylan's working on his bench, and he's trying to plow through some pretty hefty mortises for the legs. And even routing Douglas fir, you walk into the shop, and that smell is right there and it's just an amazing smell so that's half of the joy i think of working it is is that you know it's total accessory you know that mm -hmm. when your tools are sharp you know like even running it through a planer you know having that really smooth surface come out of it yeah um, i think if there's a downside is that i feel that uh, the softwoods have become so associated with construction and or uh, pedestrian uses yeah. that it has a it has a low class proletariat <laughs> right association to it. Sure, you can call them interest projects. <laughs> Saying. <laughs> Well, I mean, because we've all seen poorly done knotty pine projects. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely become stigmatized by, I think, association. Yeah. And I think it's probably our job to, you know, to save it from itself, you know, <laughs> and or the reputation that was bestowed upon it. So, yeah. but yeah, you're, you're not you're, you're You're absolutely right. I think it's just it's one of those things in terms of woodworking that it just it 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 engages, you know, several it engages all the senses, you know, which is can be an overload for people and maybe something you don't get on a regular basis. So yeah. it's uh, and you don't necessarily have to be a woodworking to feel that. I mean, you don't have to be a woodworker to walk into a wood shop to know that something smells good or doesn't smell good or anywhere for that matter. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting from, from a milling standpoint, softwoods present an entirely new set of challenges that hardwoods don't. Um, oh yeah, don't present on on the sawmill uh, because the blades can be much more aggressive and they cut better. Uh, my my not as aggressive hardwood blades don't cut soft soft woods with crap. I mean, it tears them more than it cuts them. Uh, really? And yeah, oh yeah, it's. I mean, I can run. I can run one of my blades ash or oak or walnut berry, and you get a pretty smooth surface. I mean, you can see lines. But when you run it through cedar, white northern white cedar or uh, white pine or any of those soft, the surface is super fuzzy, um, just because it's it's like it's tearing at the at the fibers instead of cutting them. Uh, and the amount of sap that's in them is insane. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it sticks to everything. Uh, my mill actually came with some oiler pads that are meant to go in front of the wheels on the track. You're supposed to saturate them with oil, let it oil the track as you're milling. Right. Mm -hmm. And I asked the guys at Mordos, like, hey, what are these forks? These are dumb. I've never filled them with full, full of oil. And they're like, well, when you start cutting softwoods, then you'll realize. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, whatever. And then I cut my first like pine log and I was like, oh my God, everything is so sticky. <laughs> I mean, like, and actually, I, I, I cut some pine the other day for a YouTube video that I'll have up hopefully next week. 
And I sat down and I'm like, holy cow, I'm like, just, just the sawdust is all tacky. Everything is tacky. Just everything, uh, which is, is crazy. Uh, and when you drop in uh, most, most commercially available lumber, I believe it's been kiln dried. And one of the points of kiln drying, obviously, to get the moisture down, secondarily to kill bugs. Third is to set the pitch. So any of that sap that's in the tree, once it hits a certain temperature, I think it's 160 degrees, uh, any of that sap that's in the wood will harden and won't flow out. Uh, so if you do get a piece of air-dried pine or cedar or something, and you cut into it and you hit a pitch pocket, if it's been air-dried, that pitch will still flow out. Uh, it might be slowly, but it'll still flow. Uh, yeah. Where been kiln dried it hardens it up it kind of crystallizes it so just just an interesting difference uh when it comes to uh, actually producing the lumber out of logs too yeah well i think that you know another thing that this whole topic touches on in a way is you know something that we've been trying to do on the tv show and i know in the videos that you do dylan is you know we present something in the magazine a project in a given species because we have to build it out of something. Right. But right. That doesn't preclude from trying it in something else, you know, and I think that would be, you know, I view that as kind of one of our challenges is, Hey, you know, we're building it out of this, you know, for a video or for our personal project or whatever, I'm right. deciding to build it out of that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I know. I think part of it for us is, I, and I, I don't know, I feel like I catch myself kind of reiterating in some of those videos, you know, like, you know, just because we did it this way, obviously doesn't mean you have to do it this way. You know, we would love to see, you know, your interpretation of these projects. I mean, again, they're just really just jumping off points, but I think that kind of, I think for some people, it's probably a little psychological, you know, it's, you know, they want it, they want to follow it to a T. Um, obviously we're not, you know, implying that you should or have to do that. But again, we have to have a starting point. But um, again, I think we're almost, you know, just as excited. We're not just excited to build these projects and share them with people. I think we're almost more excited to see what people do with our plans, um, whether it be build the project or, you know, have comments that are based around, you know, what they thought of the article or. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that's an interesting point, too, because the way that I approach projects, I mean, I hardly think about the material I'm going to use, at least from a, a wood standpoint, right off the bat. I mean, it's usually totally driven by uh, an idea. Sometimes it's driven by a material. Typically, that's more of like a, a fabric or a piece of hardware or even uh, whether or an application of some sort. Um, it, it, and it's, it's just as important, but again, I can tell you as someone who designs for the magazine that a lot of times I don't really think about that until the project's built. And I, again, I think that's just part of building as part of designing, you know, you, you kind of, you can't know everything all up front, you know, it's, I, I'm always been somebody who is very visual and, um, short of just building something or having to see it in the round, it's, it's, it's very difficult for me to make those sorts of decisions. So those sometimes are, you know, secondary or tertiary in the process. So. Cool. Anyway, <laughs> that's where, like I said, it was just something, you know, having, it, I've, I've thought about it in the past as a topic. Um, well, and just an interest in being, you know, building projects out of stuff. And then, 
being able to live vicariously through Logan's sawmilling, you know, Definitely. where he's talking about like that fir, that huge fir tree that you did, you yeah. know, I just, my mouth is watering over waiting for that wood to dry, you know, completely, completely blanket statement. Nobody has to live vicariously through me. Come out and throw lumber and half of it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> blanket statement. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, uh, couple of summers ago i got some uh, i think it was red pine from chris that i did a i carved a bowl from mm. for a christmas present and it was just a that was relatively green i mean it wasn't straight from the tree but you know it was just a delight to work with you know there's every species has its own idiosyncrasies that you have to learn yeah and adapt to to get the results that you're looking for but it was just a pleasure to do. Yeah. See, I always thought that when it, we throw out the term vegan woodworking, somebody's going to assume we mean going out and finding a tree, pruning a limb, bandaging it up, and using the limb, but allowing the tree to grow. <laughs> Propagate. Like, yes. There you go. Yes. You only take what you need. <laughs> right. Okay. So what projects you guys got working on? You want to go Dylan? first, Logan? I can go first. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where do I begin? Um, right now, sorry, I'm, I'm going to turn to my left here because I got my matrix right next to me. Um, we are entering the 253rd issue of Woodsmith. Um, I have just finished up doing uh we're working on a modern federal piece we've kind of talked about in our facebook live a little bit or alluded to it it is a campeche trayer um which is kind of based off the the this kind of the style and the joiner of them are actually based off those old kind of greek i think it's kirill excuse me karul i think it's karul chair perhaps i may be mispronouncing it c-u-r-u-l-e but they're kind of like those X-frame stools and kind of throughout history, I'm sure you've seen them in any capacity as they've evolved over, over centuries. Um, but uh, we're working on one that's a little bit more of a modern uh, interpretation of one. Um, I've been kind of following this or doing some research on this 20th century designer named Clara Porset. She was a Cuban-born um, furniture designer. Um, so we've got that piece um, that's Mark actually is pretty much done with. We're having the canvas sewn at the moment. Um, and then there's some coffee accessories that we've, again, talked about a little bit in our Facebook Live. Um, just a series of three. Um, we've got a coffee mug, uh, a measuring spoon that seconds as a coffee ground bag clip, and then a little coffee filter caddy that goes along with that. Um, so those are, those are well, well in the works. Um, I've started modeling a Thomas Day lounge or settle for 254, which will be kind of cool. It'll be in our heirloom um, category of project uh, for that round. Um, that's that'll, that'll be a kind of a cool piece. Again, traditional, but also very funky for the time. So it's um, there's definitely traditional components to it, but it has a little bit more, I think, of a personality and you know, kind of accentuated forms on it. And then I am going to, well, need to be jumping into a project for Pop Wood. I'm going to be doing some turned 
canisters for them uh, for the next article I'll be doing for, I would assume goes into the issue for next year sometime in the beginning of the year. So other than that, just uh, trying to chip away at the workbench. But um, again, that's more of a personal project. So I kind of work on that as I can, but yeah. Now I had a question for you about the workbench. Sure. Um, only because I know that you were starting in on the, the dovetailed leg mortises. Mm -hmm. uh, is there, how do you, do you encounter any feelings of intimidation when you're doing something like that? And how do you get over it? Cause it's like, I know that you had, you did the through mortises square, mm -hmm. not that difficult to do, but when sure. you start to get to those dovetail shaped ones, like to me, that would be something I'm hesitating to make the first cut on until you actually do it. <laughs> I was actually more terrified to do the through mortises, the squared ones. I mean, you know, you're working with a five inch thick top. What could go wrong? Um, I just, <laughs> especially with dull chisels, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely known to not, you know, one, abuse my chisels and two, hardly ever sharpen them, which I definitely don't recommend. It's just... I, I, I like to work efficiently, which seems counterproductive considering the fact that a sharp chisel is going to go a lot farther than a dull one. Um, but no, you know, back to your point, I think the dovetails for me, why I don't fear them as much is that, you know, there's the hand element. I am hand cutting the shoulders on those at a 45 degree angle. Um, but you're able to access the bottom of that joint with either, a, you know, whether you're using a handheld router, I'm probably going to end up cleaning it up with a router plane and then use, doing a little bit of chisel work. But with the through mortises for the, the traditional through, through tenon, um, you know, I went at that from either side with a chisel just to get four square sides at least an inch down. And then I actually went, went at it with a, a router to clean up a lot of it, had to flip it. But then you, there's a matter of kind of going back and cleaning up those clean up those corners in there where the, the, the two sides meet. And, you know, that's kind of nerve wracking because, you know, you're entering from either side. And if your measurements off, you know, just enough and they don't meet, that's kind of when the, Oh, you know, expletive comes out and, you know, you're <laughs> finding yourself, you know, trying to get creative, which a large part of, you know, woodworking is, is kind of getting that point where you mess something up and you have to improvise. But yeah, it's, it's super nerve wracking. I've never done mortises that thick in my life. And, uh, I'm, I'm almost forced to work with tools that I don't feel like I have a proficiency with because I, I like to streamline things. I love using jigs. I love using pattern bits. Um, I love having a fence, you know, and a power tool. Um, so this has definitely been an exercise and some hand tool work, which I've actually, uh, really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, I've been using some of those Japanese hand saws and I think a lot of it is just, you have to be patient. You really just have to go slow. There's no rushing through it. Um, you're going to be a lot happier with those results if you just you just take your time on them. So, I mean, that's really the only advice, sound advice I have to give people as I kind of go through this process. So, yeah. Logan, what do you got? So, I was at the morning off to cut some timber. Um, Unfortunately, the logs rot already when I got there, so tomorrow will be the day to saw. I did find a, a large, like, railroad spike in the side of the one tree <laughs> I got. No, didn't find it with a blade, thankfully. I saw it before I saw it. Before I saw it. Get it? Uh, <laughs> Noel's 
roll on the side. Uh, uh, so I did. Um, I went home and I decided I, I had one huge ash log uh, that has been sitting at my place for probably a year now, um, and it's just too big to go on my mill. It's like forty-four inches, so I ended up cutting a bunch of twenty by twenty by oh ten-inch thick bowl blanks, or just the massive, huge bowl blanks. So right, I have a bowl on the lathe in the shop that I'm going to go finish roughing out uh, since we're done with this. Um, and I am uh, finishing up on my second vice stand, my bench vice stand. This one will be for my uh, buffer wire wheel comp. Um, but I need to get back on, and that's ready for paint. So, yeah. All right, cool. I'm still working on my Christmas presents. Um, mm. The one that is shall remain a secret for now. But uh, I'm trying to do some personal projects all at the same time. I want to do a little bit more shop organization. I have a couple of drawers in my tool cabinet that uh, sort of resemble black holes. That <laughs> tools go into and don't come out of. Yeah. Or... It's basically just a container for a pile, and I need to organize that a little bit. So, trying to do that as well. Pretty sure that's, like, pretty sure that's Webster's definition of a drawer, like <laughs> for a pile. That's what all my drawers, my shop turned into. Yeah, I mean, and to a certain extent, if the drawer is shallow enough, that's not a big deal. Like all my layout yeah. tools are in the upper part of my tool cabinet. And even though the drawer is you know, like 30 some inches wide, like I think it's right around 30 inches wide, you know, 12 inches deep, the drawer is only two inches deep altogether, you know, so you're not really going to lose stuff in there. You open it up, it looks like a disaster, but you can easily see pretty much everything in the drawer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how far out are you on your mysterious Christmas project? I have a uh, this because i'm gonna make <laughs> one so uh i'm probably 75 percent of the way done on it i had to take a little bit of a break because okay. we're running out of good weather in iowa here so i had to do an outdoor project i was tasked with uh deck washing scraping and staining our deck oh wow and then also doing the same thing to a fence. So we have a cedar fence that I don't know that's ever been stained at all. And so I did the like bleach based chemical wash on it to try and clear away the oxidation and the deck, I will admit I've let go for too long and took a lot more hand work than it needed to, but it looks awesome now and the fence looks great, but now I can kind of turn my attention back to that. Um, well, well, thankfully you have a uh, young child that is invent an indentured servant, right? As as long as he lives at home, so yes, yeah, you at yes. least had a little extra horsepower. Yes, I did, and he performed admirably in helping, even though it wasn't awesome. his funnest thing to do. So good thing you have awesome. to pay him, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Anyway, there you go. So that's what I'm doing, starting to turn back to my Christmas projects. And I think that wraps it up for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. You can send us an email 
It's woodsmith at woodsmith.com. You can also check out the show notes page at woodsmith.com slash podcast. Also, wherever you get your podcasts from your local podcastery, please feel free to give us a good review and a five-star rating if it's appropriate. So we'll see you again next time for the Shop Notes Podcast. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. Furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.